I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a weekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if this podcast is helpful to you, come join us at the Digital Commerce Alliance. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week, Dan is talking economic and technological disruption. Some quick reflections after last week's DCA Summit in Washington, D.C., But first, we'll dig into three of the big stories in digital commerce from the last week. First, Apple and PayPal work together to make mobile wallets more convenient for consumers. Second, embedded finance gains ground. And finally, in the EU, inflation is down. All that's ahead. But first, a word from our sponsor, Vantage Score. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by Vantage Score. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use VantageScore to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. Apple and PayPal have reached a truce. The tech giants agreed to accept each other's products. Starting in 2023, PayPal and Venmo debit cards will be accepted inside the Apple Wallet. PayPal will also add Apple Pay as an option in the company's checkout offers. PayPal and Apple are the most widely used mobile wallets in the U.S. Mobile wallets were first introduced in 2011 and were slow to gain traction. By 2018, only 18% of consumers used them. Once the pandemic hit, though, adoption picked up. Close to 50% of us use them now according to fintech firm Pentadata Inc. Safe and now even more convenient to use, mobile wallets are on a path to be mainstream soon. Interest in embedded finance is growing. A report by CB Insights notes an increasing number of mentions of the term showing up in the media. There were 3,186 media mentions in the third quarter of 2022, up from just over 1,000 three years prior. What is embedded finance? The term refers to an offering of a financial product or service by a non-financial company. For example, a branded credit card issued by a store or insurance offered by an e-commerce merchant. An estimated $230 billion in embedded finance revenue is expected in 2025, a tenfold increase over the $22.5 billion generated in 2020, according to a recent Accenture report. Banking as a service will continue to grow. The EU statistics agency reported that inflation is taking a downward trend. The annual inflation rate in the eurozone fell in November for the first time in 18 months, dropping from 10.6% to 10%. Many EU economists see the inflation level decline as a blip and not part of a meaningful trend. Today on the show, Dan is looking back at last week's DCA Summit, a day-long conference titled Harnessing the Disruption, succeeding at digital commerce in a recession economy. Last week on Tuesday, DCA hosted a conference in Washington, D.C. entitled Harnessing the Disruption, Succeeding at Digital Commerce in a Recession Economy. It was a day-long affair, and I can't possibly encapsulate everything that was said there, but I had a couple thoughts 
I wanted to share. First of all, just to give you a sense, if you didn't get a chance to join us either in person or online, amazing lineup of, of companies and of speakers, Vantage Corp, Agio, the NBA, that's the National Basketball Association, TransUnion, People. We had the former director of the CFPB spend an hour with us talking about policy and, and risk issues. We had Triple, which is part of Numo and PNC. We had Harness talking about their partnerships with various other organizations, Harness FI. Really a great lineup. And the theme, as I said, was disruption. And really, we thought about it in terms of disruption uh, from a technology perspective and then also from a financial perspective. And, and you heard in the title a minute ago that we were contextualizing it in terms of the recession economy. As several people pointed out, of course, it's uh, more than a little premature to be talking about a recession. I am now just referring it as whatever is going to happen in 2023. Uh, we don't know yet. And, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be a soft landing, as they say. But in terms of disruption and the context here, I wanted to just say a few words. and I'm going to cast us back quite a few years to what really originated the very idea of disruption, which is a book called The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen. And I, I think it's worth being reminded of the tenets of that book. If you haven't had a chance to read it or maybe just haven't had a chance to read it lately, The Innovator's Dilemma is absolutely one of the great pieces of business writing from any time frame and certainly one of the very best books written in the, in the back end of the 20th century. What Christensen says in that book is that there is a dilemma for leading companies for companies that are in a sort of a strong market position. And it's the following disruptive products, products that threaten to upend a leading company generally promise lower margins rather than higher margins. They are typically first commercialized in insignificant markets that big companies aren't that interested in. And generally speaking, the best customers of a big company don't want the disruptive product. It doesn't serve all of their needs. And that all persists until that disruptive product makes changes, makes market inroads, and then everyone wants the disruptive product. Now, if we think about technology disruption, I think that's a very good framework. There's a great deal more, obviously, to what was going on in the innovator's dilemma than what I just said. But I think that's the core of the idea of the dilemma, which is that you've got organizations sitting there in a strong position and disruptive products almost always sneak up from behind. We talked about it a little bit across the course of the day. I mean, that theme sort of came up time and again. And I'll share a little bit of survey results here that we got leading up in the work that we did leading up to the summit itself through our tech disruption working group that laid some groundwork. We asked that group and, and others who responded to the survey, what are the sectors that they think would be most disrupted in the coming three years? Gave them a list of different sectors broadly within the spaces covered by Digital Commerce Alliance. And the feeling was that it was payments, number one, and then loyalty and rewards, because I, I think it's just so closely tied to payments. And then a distant third was banking. Pretty obvious observations there are that, you know, there are reasons why banking, because of regulatory controls and other, other things, reasons to think that banking would be less disrupted, perhaps, than payments purely, and then loyalty and rewards. And I think there's a reasonable expectation that given some of the innovations that have taken place, with technology, and granted that we've had a little slowdown, to put it mildly, in the crypto world, nevertheless, reason to believe that payments could be pretty well disrupted, and then along with it, loyalty and rewards could be impacted. 
Another question we asked the group was, which of the forces that you think will most disrupt your business in the next three years? And again, people coming at it from different businesses, but again, broadly within digital commerce. And the forces that came in, again, clearly first and second, were data-driven personalization. And then second, consumer data ownership. We talked a fair bit about that consumer data ownership piece. And of course, that relates very much to data-driven personalization. With Kathy Craninger, she's the former director of the CFPB. She was uh, there for about a year and a half and, you know, had a bird's eye view, obviously, to all the work that was being done. And what she regards as kind of most consequential going forward, I think it's fair to summarize, and her, her points are some of the work the CFPB is doing in effect on what could be, I think, summarized as open banking. And so we talk about it from a regulatory standpoint at Section 1033. But really broadly, the the idea we're talking about here is open banking, which basically comes to the granular ownership by consumers of their own data and their ability to authorize other entities to use that data and to access it. And open banking would be a protocol, and depending on what Section 1033 regulations ultimately look like, that would facilitate and really require banks, other financial institutions to sort of facilitate to play ball with that. And so disruptive forces across the coming years, uh, data-driven personalization, consumer data ownership, those two kind of hand in hand, reasonable to think that especially as those regulations proceed and as the law evolves to embrace open banking, that that could be powerful. And then I'll say that in third place and pretty, pretty far down, was tokenized ID. Again, I think kind of relating to this idea of what kind of identification do I need to share, do I want to share, and and putting the consumer in the driver's seat when it comes to what they share. And so the example of tokenized ID that was used during the conference that I thought was pretty interesting in this conversation with somebody came up a, a few different ways but in Australia, and in here I'd say, don't use me as the authority on this, but this is a little bit of hearsay, reciting what I think, however, is a powerful example. In Australia, they developed a system with the imprimatur of the government that I think it's in its early stages. But the example we'll use is if I go to a bar in Australia and if I need to prove that I'm a certain age, you may have to suspend disbelief to think that that will actually happen in Australia. But let's say that it does. It's possible to pull out an app where I can essentially prove that I'm the necessary age without revealing to the person at the door anything other than the fact that I'm the appropriate age. And so they basically get a you know, a signal, a green light, if you will, on that narrow question, but they're not in possession of a whole bunch of other information. The point being, if I hand over my driver's license or some other form of ID, my passport or whatever, to somebody to show what age I am, I'm sharing not only my age, but a whole host of other information that's really not relevant to the present question. The idea of tokenized ID contains a lot more than just this, but the point is all three of these forces that were regarded as being potentially most disruptive really are rooted in the idea that individuals will be empowered to claim greater and more full and more granular control over their personal information. So I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, The other forces that were voted on came in just uh, far and away below those. Last thing I want to mention was we asked some questions, which technologies will most disrupt your business in the next three years? That's a little different than forces. I, I kind of conceived of those as broader, but technologies are just which technologies, right? So the list was sort of from facial recognition to NFTs, the metaverse, Internet of Things, cryptocurrencies, CBDC, blockchain, mobile payments. The things that came in first and second, and again, kind of strongly so, were artificial intelligence and embedded finance. 
embedded finance, to call that a technology, and I'll just confess right now, is maybe not quite right. It's a series of technologies that maybe meet the criteria or fit the definition of embedded finance. And they're not necessarily that tech oriented, but the basic point is you're baking payments or financial instruments of some kind into another consumer experience in a way that is uh, perhaps secondary to the principal experience. So, okay. And then artificial intelligence, remarkable, I think, and I don't know what people were were thinking specifically when they answered the question and, and put that one in first place in terms of which technology would most disrupt. But I think it is true in my experience that the areas where AI have become most advanced have again to do with identification, whether it's facial recognition and then other sort of ways of merging machine learning with some kind of biometric in order to serve the purposes of identification. Uh, The point there then is that again comes back to some of the themes that we've seen in the previous couple of questions that I talked about, which is we're in a moment where the sources of disruption might be, if the collected views of people within DCA are correct, might all kind of revolve around this issue of identification, identity, personal information, and how much we control it. That I think is interesting and kind of a noteworthy convergence. Uh, A lot of the conversations that we're having across the course of the day at the summit related back to that, of course. And so when we were talking about, for example, a triple was talking about the five forces that are going to change the open offers kind of ecosystem, how that'll impact loyalty and rewards and banking, et cetera. A great deal of that stuff relates to identity and control of information. The conversation with the National Basketball Association, how do we build brand fans? So how do we activate consumers through personalization technology, creating communities online and otherwise? Again, that's really about who you are and finding out in an appropriate and permissioned way who you are and building a community around people as individuals. So um, really interesting series of conversations and wanted to just kind of highlight the way that this all roots into identity. I'll go back though to the Clayton Christensen point. So I'd said that in uh, Innovator's Dilemma, Christensen says, look, you know, disruptive products promise lower margins. Maybe they serve insignificant markets and you know, leading customers don't really want them until an inflection point comes. People all wake up and realize that, well, now maybe everybody wants this thing. An essential element of, of that story of the disruptive product is just how much the typical consumer and maybe the premium consumer is ignoring what's going on in the innovation space until it comes on in a rush. And I guess what I would say is if we're trying to define where are we going to be disrupted, one way of thinking about it is what are all the places where we really haven't even thought about? And by we, I mean sort of the typical consumer or maybe even the best consumer, you know, your best customer. Where is it that your best customer hasn't really even thought about how much better this whole thing could be if it was really tailored to her or tailored to him? How much more effective the product or service could be if it was truly tailored? And places where we haven't really thought through, well, what would I get out of it if I fully owned and fully and in a granular way controlled my personal information? Most of us have never really thought about that because we've rarely experienced it. And I think the thought exercise of figuring that out for ourselves and then for our best customers is going to be a helpful path for us to go down if we want to figure out where are the next opportunities to serve them better or potentially where are our competitors going to serve our customers far better than we are today 
And once our customers wake up to those possibilities, boom, we've got a problem. That's the very nature of disruption. Thought it was a great summit, great set of conversations, and look forward to continuing those across our work in 2023. Commerce Code is a weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week.